Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything Smart Cities action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the Chronicles, and my day job is Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for our Australia and New Zealand region. I'd like to welcome you to episode 81 today, and we're going to be talking everything kind of COVID, kind of pedestrian sensing, kind of economic development, kind of place, vitality, and all other things. Um, and it's on the back of a, uh, a, a research report, uh, a partnership between uh, Meshed IoT, the University of Wollongong, uh, and 24 local authorities around uh, Australia with some fascinating findings uh, and um, some great uh, input into how we may uh, inform both policy and investment and action as we uh, try and um, accelerate our economic recovery after and during, of course, the, the health pandemic. So thanks for, thanks for joining us. Let's start with uh, some introductions. We've got three guests joining us on the podcast today. Uh, we've got Catherine Caruana McManus, Steph Kelly, and Pascal Perez. Uh, all from different parts of the ecosystem. Let's start with you, Catherine. Um, who are you and what do you do? I am Catherine Caruana McManus and I am a co-founder of Meshed um, and we focus on the Internet of Things. And what we do is we, we help cities and communities and industries in, in getting data on, on things that matter to themselves and when we talk about data we're talking about real-time data so we live in this world of uh, sensors and communication networks uh, but uh, very much focused around the value of the data thanks Catherine uh, Pascal the same question who are you and what do you do I'm Pascal Perez the director of the smart infrastructure facility at the University of Wollongong uh, the mandate of the facility is to work on infrastructure networks, services um, around Australia and beyond. Uh, we're doing mostly data analytics and advanced simulation, but a couple of years ago, uh, we started doing some serious work around smart sensing, smart monitoring, uh, computer vision uh, for cities uh, with various use cases, uh, especially with councils. Um, around Sydney and the Edawar region. Thanks, Pascal, for joining us. And uh, last but not least, Steph Kelly from the City of Canada Bay. Steph, thanks so much for joining us. Same question for you. Who are you and what do you do? So I'm the manager for place management at the City of Canada Bay Council. Um, uh, my team and I work in really close collaboration with communities, businesses, artists, um, to make our places better, to bring people together, to share and enjoy what is our city and, and in meaningful activity hubs for them. So, you know, whether it's the Bay Run, um, a great walk and a great walking community, or whether it's a town centre like Five Dock with an Italian theme and lots of vibrancy, we work to bring out the best of what those places are and to help all of the participants play a full and active role. Steph, um, thank you for joining us. And indeed, uh, this conversation is going to squarely um, uh, hit uh, a number of those issues that you've just touched on around vitality uh, and place. Um, and let's 
Let's start there. Catherine, um, you were the culprit here, I believe, in terms of um, uh, instigating this uh, opportunity and this research project that has uh, has now completed. Um, when did uh, when did things start to become real in terms of taking uh, taking this and and getting some serious research done and engagement and collaboration with the councils and of course Pascal uh, at the at the University of Wollongong. Well, actually, um, we touched down from a, um, a roadshow that we'd been doing in New Zealand uh, in early March, and we flew back into Sydney, Australia, uh, and we sensed that there was going to be something happening around um, Australia moving into lockdown because of COVID-19. Um, and, it, you know, we live a, a life where for our own organisation as a supporter of smart cities to local government municipalities, um, it was actually Paul and myself, we, we were sitting down um, as we arrived back going, wouldn't it be really interesting to actually see the impact, uh, the economic, social and mobility impacts um, of COVID-19, but how could we actually measure that? Mm. What's the data point that we could use to see uh, that impact? And we immediately thought of the fantastic tool that we um, have uh, engineered and, and developed and delivered uh, to councils across Australia, and that is our encounter people counting um, technology, uh, which uses uh, a combination of Wi-Fi, uh, LoRaWAN, which is a low power, long range IoT data network and data visualizations to actually track in real time pedestrian movement and flow. Um, and the purpose of it is to assist any custodian of a place, whether that be a city or a precinct owner or a university, it could be a smart campus, uh, to, to look at the way in which they manage that space, make that space vibrant, but also uh, make it purposeful and, and make sure that that space is, um, you know, uh, maintained well. And so the idea of a pedestrian index, a COVID-19 pedestrian index formed uh, to us in very early April uh, because we started to see across all of the sensors, we, we, we've actually had over 100 of these sensors across Australia in different states, different parts, whether they be um, coastal, inner urban, regional, and we started to look at the data in an aggregate form and we were seeing some really interesting patterns. And so it, it was that sense of how do we bring an insight around COVID that, you know, people I think could relate to uh, that maybe could help inform how do we deal with this crisis? But more importantly, how could we use pedestrian information as well as other information to help cities come out of that crisis? And so... Um... Pascal, let's let's weave in your role here, bringing some structure and rigor, uh, of course, to this process. What uh, was a, was a key uh, contribution of of um, the smart infrastructure facility? Um, it, it isn't the first time you, you you've sort of. Uh, you've partnered up with Meshed IoT since 2018. You know, you, you guys have been hanging out around this space, sort of sensing, sensing people and place and, and all those good things. Uh, Pascal, run us through now from a uh, from a research perspective how how you framed it up. Um, how do you begin to sort of ensure that the idea gets turned into something that hopefully you know brings a bit of rigor to it? 
Uh, well, yeah, we, we've had a, a long history of collaboration with Mesh IoT, and we, we're very thankful uh, to the, the, the trust that Catherine and the whole team put into us. I think the journey for us started uh, not only with the data that uh, meshed IoT, the aggregated data that meshed IoT was pushing through LinkedIn and other media, but also other equivalent studies with different type of, of sensors around the world. And my reaction each time, and don't get me wrong, was, and so what? Mm. Uh, yeah, we know that around the world between mid-March and early April, the world and the urban world stopped. Mm. literally because of different types of interventions and regulations around the world. So what you expect is definitely see a drop in pedestrian movement in cities. And that's what this data was showing. Now, the interest, interesting question first in terms of research and then in terms of action is why? Mm. Why some places had a sharper and steeper, uh, and steeper and deeper drop compared with others? why some of these places started recovering faster than others. Was it socioeconomic determinants? Were they uh, place-based determinants? So that's what we try to do with MESH. I think the first study, at least in Australia, uh, I know about up until now, that could have a, a, a relatively robust research framework. And uh, the important aspect here is that we were relying on a network of sensors that were all the same. That, that mm. was a fantastic data set mm. that Mesh was offering, and, and I insist on offering. All this was pro bono on their side and our, on our side, because we thought uh, both uh, entities uh, had to contribute to the recovery uh, uh, of COVID pandemic in Australia. And so, yeah, this was a fantastic data set where we knew that at least the sensors, it's okay. We don't have to worry about differences in sensors. They're all the same. It's mm. just about places and responses. Mm. Steph, um, the report comes out straight away and talk about and talks about pedestrian activity, you know, sort of being the pulse of the city. Um, in, in your role uh, as uh, as manager of place management, um, I, I can only imagine what the last six to eight months or so mm -hmm. has kind of been. Can you can you sort of kick us off with? Um, you know the, the 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 life of City of Canada Bay over the last eight months, from from, from your lens, from your perspective around place and activity and vibrancy. What are your reactions and thoughts and observations? Tell us about it. I think it's been fascinating. Um, the COVID-19 response from my council started in January because we have a suburb with a large Chinese population who were getting very concerned about COVID-19 much quicker than the rest of the community. And then there was some small incidences in, you know, around that area that we were trying to support business because overnight um, from Lunar, I think it was Lunar New Year, we cancelled the Lunar New Year celebrations, um, you know, businesses which would normally get the bulk of their annual trade around that time, all of a sudden had no trade. So we were starting to think about and prepare responses. And then the major sort of citywide, one of the major citywide festivals happened the day, was set to happen the day before um, the ban on mass gatherings occurred. So then all of a sudden, you know, the whole of the community were going into a sort of lockdown mentality and then actually into lockdown. And so 
two cancelled events, which were all about bringing community together in the place to celebrate the culture of that place, were cancelled. And for my team, you know, particularly who manage and run those kinds of activations, um, you know, we really had to start thinking about the year ahead. Um, and what's been fascinating is because it, we are very interested in smart cities and the digital transformation that happened kind of overnight in terms of community engagement, in terms of building connection, um, in terms of the way we talk to people and how we talk to people and kind of involve them in their places and the decisions around their places um, happened so rapidly. Um, we've been talking about it for years and all of a sudden, you know, everyone can use a QR code now. So we'd been trying to transition from, you know, cluttering signage that gets vandalised and run over and fallen down and tell the stories of places and tell how people could connect using QR codes for four or five years. But now we actually have a tool that's pretty much universal. Um, and so I think although there was a lot of challenges and a lot of disappointment in terms of our annual program and how we connect with people, there's been all these opportunities as well um, that we are only, you know, we were able, because we'd thought about it in advance, I think, um, to, to roll out really quickly, and that's been great. And there were these new um, coming together, happenings, gatherings online. So our events have become virtual, you know. Uh, we've just had Moon Festival that's run by a group of volunteers in Rhodes and they did it virtually. They did um, broadcasts and um, promotions and connections all online. We did Make Music Day, you know, where we bring people together to make music. We had um, DJs on balconies um, and people all dancing on their balconies. And we had, you know, um, performers online that came from across the city and, you know, a sharing on YouTube. So I think we've had really challenging times as a city and really fun times as a city. But our parks um, and our public space has really been elevated in terms of value because 50% of our residents, you know, we're an inner West Sydney community. Uh, we live, we've got 38 kilometres of foreshore along the Parramatta River, which flows west from Sydney Harbour. Um, so some are, and we have more parks and open space than any other metropolitan council. So 14% of our council area is actually open space, foreshore walks um, and parks. And I think the pressure not just from our community, from everyone's community during lockdown to really access um, that recreation space and that place where the only place really where people were coming together to be social for a while um, has changed um, hugely and that has um, put some real pressures on council as well as some real opportunities to celebrate how great our teams have managed that space. The Bay Run, for instance, is normally the second busiest walk in Sydney. Um, but during the um, lockdown, it got to the point where people physically couldn't social distance effectively because so many people were flooding to that space. Um, and it's great to see people relate and connect with the water and the walk, but to manage that as a local government, you know, who, you know, we've got limited range of resources across all of those parks and open spaces where there were demands was quite a challenge. Steph, am I hearing correctly in your um, 
your sort of views there uh, and the report sort of makes this statement quite clearly that pedestrian activity is an indication of the city's vitality and economic prosperity. I, I assume that you would support that statement wholeheartedly. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think it's about where we connect and pedestrian activities where we connect most, you know, if you're in your car, you're not connecting. If you're walking, you know, the eye contact, the body language, it's so important. Um, and I think, you know, lockdown's proven that to us, but we, what we knew inherently, um, I think lockdown's proven that to us because more and more people were using those spaces um, and really appreciating those spaces. We know that from social media, from feedback, from communication and care that people were putting into those places during lockdown and post lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Catherine, um, so I, I'm, I'm going to ask you now to play both your current role as a technologist and innovator and entrepreneur, but also dredge out your urban planning background and, and, and talk to me about pedestrian counting. I, I mean, I, I haven't word, I haven't heard those two words as much as I have in my entire career than 2020. So, um, so I, I mean, did they just fall out of the sky in March or has, has pedestrian counting, you know, using IoT networks and sensors been around forever and we just haven't known? Talk to, can you give us a little bit of a sense of the, evolution of that technology and and the level of comfort from 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 users and 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 cities and things like that what what would you say around that issue that is a great question adam and i've actually got 30 years experience in pedestrian counting but i only just <laughs> i only just realized on the call when i was an urban planner for a council uh in uh victoria which uh doesn't exist anymore because was amalgamated with it with another council um, I was responsible for the um, Chapel Street, which was the oh, yes. era. Yeah, so it was in the 80s and 90s. It was the place to be. Um, and my role was uh, I was actually responsible for uh, activation and, and land use planning uh, for that for that district. And um, on, on occasion, I would hire students and we would go out with clickers mm. uh, and we would actually stand on the corner of um, Chapel Street and Commercial Road and click the number of times people you know, walked um, over the, the crossing. So I, I know what those clickers look like and, and I know how inaccurate they are mm. um, because when you get a bunch of students who, who really get quite bored very easily, you realise that you know, they, they've got to have a, a steely mind to do it. So I think what, what we've seen now, 30 years on, is the um, a combination of, of three things. First of all, miniaturization. So you, you have the ability to have low-cost sensors uh, that can be put onto assets and places and even people. Um, and, you know, we all know about the Fitbits and the, the iPhones and, and, you know, Apple Watches and, and things like that. So the ability to have miniaturization, you know, at your fingertips and, and be able to collect and sense data. You also have the cloud, you know, the, the ability to serve that data seamlessly via the internet very, very quickly and at very low cost. Um, but then the third thing that you have is the um, ability to visualize and make sense of that data in a much more digestible way. And so those three, th three things. And um, again, this is where Pascal and, and uh, Nesht and the University of Wollongong um, it's actually our second project because we did a fantastic project back in 2016, but uh, we were invited by Liverpool City Council um, in 2017-18 to 
to look at the way in which we could apply the Internet of Things and image recognition to understand the impact of um, changes that they were having in their CBD um, and, and what we could do to assist um, the, the local council stakeholders such as you know, placemaking, land use planning, traffic, maintenance and operations. And so that's where we, we really started to understand some of the limitations of um, a lot of the existing pedestrian counting solutions that are being used um, by, by councils and, and shopping centres. And I think there's only one way to describe um, some of the challenges is cost. Mm. You know, the cost of, of accurate pedestrian counting is not cheap, particularly if you're using some of the... Um, the subscriptions based by the telcos and and some more of these sophisticated image recognition solutions and so you know meshed and the university of wollongong were given a challenge and that was to come up with an accurate low cost sensing capability and platform to inform decision making um, and so we actually um, we believe it was the first lorawan based uh, wi-fi lorawan based uh, people counter in Australia, possibly in, in the world. Um, and it's Australian um, designed, built, uh, manufactured. And, uh, you know, that that's kind of, you know, where we sort of fell into it. But as an urban planner, um, I, you know, those those days are many, many years ago, but I really did feel that, that what was missing in the conversation with smart cities and placemaking was not just the people counting, but bringing this data together. And so I think, Working with Pascal, we not only bought pedestrian counting information, but we were also able to bring in data around transport and mobility and weather. Um, and, and that also, for example, urban heat monitoring. What does urban heat monitoring have to do with pedestrian counting? Well, here's a fact. People in wheelchairs and people in, and babies in prams are more prone to the urban heat island effect because they're closer to the ground. Mm. And so what we find is things like uh, placement of canopies. And so if you can create environments where people are comfortable and, and you know, it entices people to go to those places, you know, then, then you know, the, coupled with the, the data around how those places are being used, as well as environmentals, is a very powerful, um, I think, tool uh, for better places. Yeah, which, absolutely. which directly leads into economic vitality, because if you don't have people walking past shops or streets or cafes, then, you know, that's that doesn't help the, the economic, um, you know, vitality of the city. Yeah. Uh, Pascal, I want to ask you a question about the, the research um, and every time sort of Catherine, you know, was referring to, you know, first in the country, potentially first in the world, not much that exists already, you know, this is, this is kind of very early days with respect to bringing some, some rigor and research around how all this smart cities stuff is potentially making a difference. Right. And, and I feel that um, we're still early on. So, so you're sort of, some way breaking through and pioneering and creating what's probably going to be some really important benchmarks and baselines going forward. And given the size uh, of of this study, uh, it, it's it's you know it, it's not to be sneezed at. Can you can you share with me some of the um, the things that go through your mind as you as you sort of not only prepare to embark on this kind of a research project, but 
I'd love to know, are there, are there things that sort of keep you up at night about this? Because, you know, we're talking about sensing stuff in the public realm, in public places. And, you know, I feel like I know privacy and security has certainly been talked about. We all know it's important, but I, I, I feel like the last 12, 24 months alone, uh, the, the, the heightened level of awareness uh, and and risk, but also opportunity. You know, privacy and security is an opportunity. Um, it's just such a moving feast. How 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 are you sort of em- embracing, you know, this this sort of research agenda? I feel like it's trying to nail jelly to a wall sometimes. Talk talk us through talk us through your approach and you know the the, the things the behind the scenes. What what goes on behind the scenes? You know, in a project like this. <laughs> A lot has happened, uh, believe me, Adam. Uh, first, but, but back to the, you know, is it exciting? Yes, exciting. We, we, we mentioned uh, the, the clicking of pedestrian. Uh, for a long time, clicking was clicking, which was just an operational tool. And then uh, one person, one researcher, uh, Jan Gale, uh, as an urban uh, architect and designer, created the science behind uh, clicking pedestrian. Mm. Um, so emblematic projects we, we all know around the world. So I, I feel like I hope that somehow I'm going to be the Jan Gale of, of the encounter, uh, so the, the new era of, of counting people. Now, uh, having said that, I totally agree with you that we, we have an ethical uh, issue we have to face now and, and we have to address the issue now and publicly. And I think this project beyond the results we, that we put in the, in the report and what's in the report is the thing that we were 100% sure of. Um, there's a lot of other things we've got an intuition that maybe there was something but we decided with, with Mesh Tayoti that said, let's not go there yet because the granularity of the research was not sufficient. And why was this granularity not sufficient enough, it was because we were very, very cautious with the privacy aspect of all that. Mm-hmm. So I- imagine the setting. So Mesh Tayoti uh, had to convince uh, 24, 25 councils to share data for a study that would be uh, partly undertaken by a third party university all along. So from a commercial project. Uh, between a service provider, integrator, and a council, and a series of council as end users, all of a sudden we 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 take this all uh, data and monitoring networks I- into public research, and of course some of the councils were very wary about that because there's n- there's no guidelines, there's no guidebook for the moment for all that. We're all discovering as we're doing, and so what we try to do, and that's pretty. From my perspective as a researcher, one of the most rewarding aspects of this research that we, we managed to do something that respect entirely anonymity and privacy uh, rules uh, per Australian standards, um, and at the same time delivering, delivering results. The way we did it was honestly more art than science. Uh, and just to you know, g- give you a little bit of, of sneak peek of, of the behind the scene, um, I never knew, the, the team at UW never knew and will never know where these sensors were exactly located in which council, okay? But nevertheless, we managed to put socioeconomic indicators and 
place-based information for each of the sensors. How did we do that? Well, thanks to Catherine's working at night on us sending us the key indicators and what they meant and her, because she was authorized by the councils, looking at the map and feeding us back the table. So it had been a two-step process all the time. So from that perspective, yes, we've been totally privacy compliant, but there was a price to pay. And the price to pay is that the granularity of the study uh, doesn't allow us to go as deep as I, I wish we could have. But now the good thing is that some of the council were part of the study are coming back to Mesh or directly to us and say, oh, well, can, can I know more about it? And now we can start sitting at the table uh, with the evidence and say, you see, the sky hasn't fallen on our heads. Uh, everybody's excited about this study. Everybody's just uh, uh, supporting Mesh IoT for having taken the leadership in, in this study. Can we do better? Can we do more next time? Yeah. So for our listeners, again, we're, we're talking through the, the, the why, what, and how and approach to uh, a, a research report um, titled COVID-19 Pedestrian Index. Um, and you can find the report via Catherine's uh, LinkedIn profile. That's Catherine with a C, Catherine Caruana McManus. And indeed, Catherine, uh, I think it was Paul in the team there, uh, who was giving running weekly commentary and and posts around how things were going, which is which is fantastic. So encourage um encourage everyone to head into uh, Catherine's LinkedIn profile and also sort of meshed. Um, Steph, um, I, I want to talk about um, post COVID urbanism or post COVID placemaking. Um, what what one things one thing that this report does. Uh, in a very rigorous way is confirm a lot of our, you know, gut feel and sort of senses that, you know, um, sense, you know, we sensed that things were, you know, slow and locked down and, you know, th there were some obvious parts to that. But um, as, as, a, uh, uh, as a representative, as, as, you know, in your role, manager of place management at City of Canada Bay, what, what does placemaking look like now um, policy, programs, investments. What, what's going through your mind now that, you know, we, we clearly know that, you know, this, this sort of event uh, has, has changed a lot of things um, that we assumed were always going to be normal. What do you take from this in terms of your role to activate place in, in, in your community? I think much of it is, um, much of the techniques that we use in my team are going to stay the same. So things like collaboration, mm -hmm. um, you know, trying to use data to make decisions and, you know, use data from different sources and cross check it, like Patrice mentioned, you know, you want to see rounded pictures. Um, I think uh, the sort of engagement with the community is really a cornerstone of everything we do and that community includes stakeholders, businesses, government partners, um, you know, private sector partners who have input, you know, whether it's um, the travel, you know, like the, the, the STA or whatever, you know, we have to take into account all of those elements. I think what's changed is... Um, 
our appreciation of public space and the flexibility that you need in that public space. Um, so building dining pods, you know, hard infrastructure, it's difficult then when you want to kind of put more distance on your footpaths and those sorts of things for footpath dining. That's just a really small but practical example. So I think in terms of how we think about that, we've for a long time been wanting more flexibility in public space, so kind of more blank space, if you like, that you can kind of create temporary structures and dismount. But I think that kind of message is really becoming more important and challenging all of us that are involved in that to think differently. I think we realised in COVID, so we use smart sensors in COVID, we were trying to start to use the data from them to look at how we resource with ranges and, you know, how we resource those public spaces and parks more effectively. And I think we're looking more closely at how we build the ability to do that into our parks and places as we um, look at developing and managing those better which is really interesting. And that's all part of the digital transformation. I think that's been accelerated, um, particularly in engagement. You know, we connected with thousands of people. You know, we had a community engagement portal with about 3,000 people. And by the end of the first two months of COVID, it had gone to about 18,000 people, which is phenomenal. Um, and partly because the work of the libraries all transitioned online. So, you know, all of their followers kind of all of a sudden, you know, where there'd been kind of some engagement online had become 100% online. So it drives that kind of numbers. It's not, you know, and that was a cross-council sustainability team. All of them were working in a different way and that really has fueling how we engage um, much more digitally. So it's building on what we've kind of put in place um, but I think certain things like digital and in, and how we look at kind of public spaces in terms of flexibility is more of a priority than it was in the past. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, uh, probably two questions left for us uh, with our time together um, and I want to I want to get a, a fresh round of responses uh, on this question that I'm forming as I stall, it's, it's around, and I'll go to you first, Catherine. Um, what's from a technology and data perspective in context of place and activity and economic development, what's next? What comes next? If 2020 was the pedestrian counter, and, and of course, the ped counter is going to be there forever, right? It's now hopefully going to be the staple diet in any economic development placemaking sort of toolkit that a city has. Um, what what might come next? What should come next? What do you think next might look like when it comes to this space? What's the next research project that all three of you do? What's that next line of inquiry? You know, we're, we're sort of coming, we're drawing to the end of 2020, New Year's coming, not saying it's going to be better or worse, but what's 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 sort of next on this front around tech, data, people and place? I would answer that, um, Adam, and thank you for the question. It's a great question. Um, I think what we've found is that with COVID-19, we've realised Things, some things we should keep the same because they work well, but there's probably a lot of things that we should just completely do differently. 
And this is an opportunity for us not to go back to what we were used to, but to actually do, you know, a significant, you know, change. Um, I think the way that we utilise resources, we are, you know, resources are finite. And I believe very strongly that the sustainability agenda, the sustainable de development goals, the whole focus around how we use limited resources, particularly the circular economy, uh, is something that is, is real now. Um, you just think about the volumes of waste that have been created because of COVID-19, because people have been forced in homes and restaurants have been able, unable to serve food. So there's been a lot of takeaway. And you know, when you then combine um, the economic activity or the transactions across the city, so if you were able to map and visualize um, where economic activity was happening, um, then I think that also lends itself to using this data to help cities come into recovery and to do things better. Um, I also feel that we really haven't nailed, I know that's a strange term, but we really haven't nailed the whole artificial intelligence machine learning piece. Uh, we certainly see that in, in kind of annoying things where I'm sorry, but you know, you get spams and you get, you know, text to your mobile because someone's trying to sell you something that's actually not IOT for good. That, that's stuff that, you know, marketers are pushing out to us. So I think um, the, the where to now is um, using tech and data in, in a much more uh, predictive way to um, help cities get back to recovery, help economic and, and social activity, um, and to, to look at new ways in which we digest city-generated data. Because this... This data is actually generated by all of us on this call. We're a person, we've walked down a street, we're actually generating this data. Mm, mm. We're doing it in a completely anonymized way, by the way. So please be very clear, the, the encounter has been approved by um, the federal government. It's a completely anonymized um, solution. There's, there's no way of being able to attract any personal information using this, this technology. But I, I just think that now is the time for us to look at the way in which we can sense and use that in a positive way to help um, things uh, do better. Yeah. No, thanks for that. Pascal, same question for you, if you can remember it, you know, what, what's next? Uh, I'd love to know uh, what sort of pet projects you'd, you'd love to sort of frame up for, for the coming couple of years. But look, what, what, would you, what would you respond to in terms of that question? Oh, I've got my Christmas list already full. <laughs> yes. um, I think on the technology side, and, and that's things we're already working on uh, with, with Mesh, especially with, with Liverpool City Council, where we not only have encounters, but we also have installed uh, a series or retrofitted the CCTV network with, with edge computers uh, to uh, provide more accurate uh, information about movement of vehicles and pedestrians and bicycles. So fusing all this information, again, respecting privacy and anonymity, of course, uh, and, and pushing the boundaries and going back to this issue of granularity. We, I think we can provide even much more meaningful information and not only data, information to councils in particular that can be translated into actionable knowledge uh, if we go this little bit more into granularity. So from a technology perspective, I think it's definitely uh, uh, bringing different technologies together and data fusion again with all the, the safety nets in terms of, of privacy. Um, in terms of why all that, well, it's again, 
answering not the what has happened, not answering the how it happened. We, we know, we, we've done, we've demonstrated we can do that. As a researcher, my, my key challenge is to answer the why this has happened. Mm. Because again, this is the only way we're going to be able to anticipate the next one. And here, I've got even another take on it. For the moment, most of us around the world as researchers, we've uh, created monitoring systems or even models that look at the response to uh, the quarantine uh, systems and, and, and interventions around the world. So it's the rubber band kind of, of metaphor. We've all studied the rubber band when the rubber band is tensed. What I'm interested now is what is happening in terms of social response and social behavior when you release the rubber band. How do we as citizens, as residents behave? And my, my worry for the moment as a simple citizen, not as a researcher here, is that as we're gonna go through wave two and wave three, we're gonna see more and more divergent behavior that we need to be able to anticipate in order for interventions to be more efficient. No, thank you. I appreciate those views. Uh, Steph, you get the last say here um, and and certainly keen uh, to hear from you in terms of, you know, where do you think this goes and what's next? But I would like to, I would like to sort of frame it or or throw in a little sub question. I am fascinated to get your response to this. And and that question is um, given what's happened, um, what, you know, um, what, what data set or what intelligence still is is not in your hands. I'd love to know if there was anything that you wanted to know in this context of sensing and and things that are going on, you know, what would it be? I'd love to get your response kicked off with, with thoughts on, on that one, if that makes sense. I think the real challenge for local government is there is all this data or this access to data, but it's the sort of analytical skills to really kind of consume it and say, you know, it means this, you know, like this is how you use it. And we've got a wonderful example, I think, in Canada Bay, like we are using um, smart sensors in bins to look at, you know, litter bins where there's litter issues, you know, in COVID, you know, in certain places, we had to collect three times in a day because the litter was just exponentially greater than normal. And, you know, without that smart information, we actually couldn't really have provided nearly as good a service. And some would say we still wasn't good enough, but, you know, we did get to rearrange that service. And that was really because the system that, that, you know, that the sort of presentation of data from that system is easy enough for our teens to use quickly and while on the move. And, you know, that, that sort of translation of data into, you know, usable action across all our data sets would be fantastic and it would be transformative. And I think, you know, getting the skills, you know, amongst the workforce and and in the way that the data is presented to the workforce is, is that kind of next level, next gen thing that I'd like to see, I guess, from a management perspective. But from... What Pascal said about, you know, where's the rubber band at now, if you like, for me, it's about kind of reimagining how we placemate to bring people together because the community isn't 
all as confident, you know, some parts are confident um, and some parts are still really nervous and really challenged about how do we create that social connection, um, bringing people back into our places um, and integrating the confident people and the not so confident people. So, you know, the people who are not social distancing enough because they're overconfident and the people who are really paranoid about that because they're really, you know, sensitive to what's happening. And for a city, Bringing those groups together and kind of creating that new common trust is really important from a placemaker perspective, from a people perspective. And, you know, how the analytics works and how we can get that smart approach to doing that would be really great. That would be my vision tool for the <laughs> next year, I think. <laughs> that's, that's the mountain we have to climb. You know, we've got to keep, keep the community cohesion because that's what we pride ourselves on and that's what makes great places, you know, is all sorts of people in a place, not just certain types of people in a place. Yeah, um, fantastic response, Steph. Thanks so much for that. Um, well, friends, we're at time. Um let, let me tell you, as a as a as sort of like a a, a, a trained planner, uh, now muddling around in the technology and data space, I, I just love this this topic. And so, whatever your next research project is, or whatever you're going to do, I want I want dibs on bringing you all back together and uh, having another conversation. It, it's been very um, uh, very very sort of rewarding. Um, so, so Catherine, Pascal, Steph, thanks so much for coming together, sharing your approaches and being open and honest uh, and, and sharing insights, not only about the research, but more broadly, how we, we, we do more of this, this good work together and create better outcomes for people. So um, thanks so much for joining us uh, on the, on the Chronicles uh, today. Uh, and for our listeners, um, We've had with us uh, Steph Kelly, Manager of Place Management from the City of Canada Bay in New South Wales. Uh, we've had Professor Pascal Perez, Director of the Smart Infrastructure Facility at the University of Wollongong. Uh, and Catherine Caruana McManus, Co-Founder of Meshed IoT. Uh, and for our listeners that aren't subscribing to The Chronicles, you can do so. Head to your favourite podcast platform. You could also head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com. Uh, we would love to also hear from you. If you had some feedback, you can email us uh, chronicles at anz.smartcitiescouncil.com. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of The Chronicles. Uh, look forward to bringing you another episode soon. Stay well, stay healthy, stay safe. Thanks, everyone, for listening.